0: G'day everybody, welcome along. It is another edition of the V8 Sleuth Podcast, powered by Timken, and this episode, we are getting brock Moppet Spot Bond, he's up a bank at we Park, near where Bond went, that puts Brock and the Katana into place. Picks up the inside rear
1: wheel that time, Peter Brock is trying and trying hard in this last lap. And the crowd really giving Peter Brock a send-off. The last trip... The uh, V8 Big Bangers, as they're called, the Group C touring cars.
0: And Brock has done it again. You ask for the man. You ask for him. It's Peter Brock. (laughs) Ah, boy, there are some memories there from the commentary tracks from years gone by. And we are, on this podcast, going to take a look back. Because of our success a couple of episodes ago and the feedback from the fans, Will Dale, we're going to have a look today at Peter Brock's Bathurst 1000 slash 500 race winning cars what happened to them their histories we are very much bringing our magazine cars of the king that we did a few years ago to the podcast and brock he is in the news again this week
1: yeah he sure is there's a new documentary coming out on his life called brock over the top it's been directed by top australian director Chris stenders who was responsible for red dog yep Um, Also responsible for the new Slim Dusty
0: doco that's coming out as well. I didn't know this. This is good to know. Some great docos that are out and about at the moment, particularly um, in the COVID times. It's nice to be able Mm. to see some of these. Uh, Friday, July – Three this week, uh, Brock Over the Top, as Will mentioned, is released. It has been shown in some select cinemas in the last couple of weeks, including at the Yatala Drive-In, uh, <laughs> just down the road from DJR Team Pensky, which I thought was uh, very ironic. You can watch it via premium video on demand. You can rent it and watch it from home. It's released from Friday, July three. Available to rent on Apple TV, Fetch, Foxtel Movies. Google Play, Sony PlayStation and Microsoft Xbox and select cinemas subject to COVID-19 uh, restrictions. And I know some people have taken in some of the, uh, the smaller cinemas in Melbourne to take a look at what is a, a very unique look at Brock. Uh, I've had a little bit of a look at it. I know you haven't had a chance to see it yet, but um, I really loved about this uh, that you didn't walk away from this thinking that it was a total fan cheer session but it wasn't a smash-up of PB either there was a nice balance I felt of uh, he was a complex man who uh, wore a lot of hats and was a lot of things to a lot of people and uh, it dealt with the racing. It dealt with some of the familiar faces that you'd come to know and expect in a, a Brock um, production, I guess you'd say. With It was great to see David Hassel pop up, our good friend David Hassel, who is the only authorised biographer ever of mm. Peter, the former founding editor of Motorsport News and a guy who helped give me a break many, many moons ago, and we still work with him here at V8 Sleuth on the odd project here and there. But one of the styles that was great too, when they interviewed all the interview subjects last year, these were all filmed late last year, Uh, Chris and the director was behind a screen so they're all delivering their chat straight to the camera they're not being interviewed where you see a traditional interview where they're looking at the interviewer and they're looking away from the screen they are looking straight down the barrel straight at you Uh, really unique engaging style I thought that worked um, unbelievably well I won't give away too much more of it for anyone who hasn't seen it but there's some great race vision that, of course, we've seen all the great Bathurst stuff from over the years. There's some rare gems. There's some still photos you probably haven't seen before. Uh, but I think it it covers off um, all elements. Uh, Michelle Downs naturally um, discusses her relationship with PB. Uh, Bevo is obviously involved as well. Julie Bamford was interviewed. So um, a range of partners from, from Peter's life. The, the presence uh, of all three of those people. That's in important.
1: This, in, it is important. It yep. indicates the... The um, approach that they've taken to
0: the documentary, yeah, and there's, as he said, yeah, and there's a range of other familiar faces. Uh, Craig lands appears in it with some chat. Uh, Ian Tate, the former HDT uh, mechanic, who well, that place is in the news this week too because the original home of HDT is Gonski. Gonski, you uh, yeah. you went and took a photo for the the website this week, and there ain't much to take a photo of.
1: No, it was in, it's I've I've never been there before, and it was interesting just standing there, just thinking. Well, out of that workshop came all of came well, quite a few of the cars that were about. to... One mm. of the cars mm. we're going to talk about now and a lot of yeah. a lot of um, important race cars in Australian touring car history, Australian motorsport and muscle car history.
0: I keep calling it documentary film, film documentary. It's a doco film, whichever way you want to describe it. Documentary, yeah. It's a documentary yeah. That's yeah. probably a good way to describe it. Uh, it it's a really uh, – if you're not a Brock follower or a fan from over the years, I think you'd still get a lot out of it because great to see Alan Moffat does appear in it. And obviously, Alan has his health issues these days, but um, was able to, uh, to do an interview last year, which was really great as well. So uh, a range of interesting faces that pop up through it. Um, and one that pops up that I think a lot of viewers might go, Oh, who's that? Hang on a sec. Phil Scott, journalist who was really heavily involved in the 80s in automotive and motorsport at the time, followed Brock really closely. Went to Lamont, I think, in 84 with him as well. Um, he provides, he appears in this a lot. There's a lot of almost editorial um, timeline told by him. And I think that's a really interesting uh, element to this because there was a Brock documentary um, put together six, seven years ago, five years ago perhaps, I can't remember the year, which I did actually view, but there wasn't clearance completed for the rights for the, the racing vision and the, the period vision, so it never saw the light of day and was never released. But having seen what I think was a relatively final cut, Phil Scott featured quite prominently in that, so a lot of the insights he had there that were never seen have been brought out now in Brock Over the Top, which, as I mentioned before, uh, is released Friday, July 3. You can watch it via premium video on demand to rent and watch it from home in these COVID times via Apple TV, Fetch, Foxtel Movies, Google Play, Sony PlayStation, and Microsoft Xbox. So well worth having a look at. Um, I think they've got uh, the right blend uh, in not making them out to be the Messiah, Um but it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting one. I found it quite well balanced between the uh, the various elements of, of PB. He wasn't Peter Perfect. No one is. Uh, and no one will ever be. So uh, we're here, though, on this podcast to celebrate the bits that we love, and that is the, the history of the cars. And, well, nine Bathurst 1000 wins plus a Bathurst 24-hour win plus a Bathurst Great Aussie Ute race win. Yes. Uh, I don't think we've covered where that Ute ended up, by the way. One day, one day, one day. Yeah, when we find a, a free bit of time. Uh, nine Bathurst wins for for Peter Brock, but eight Bathurst winning cars. Some may scratch their heads and think your maths are no good, boys, but they actually are.
1: They clearly didn't didn't listen to the seventy five winner podcast. <laughs> I was if about, that's about the case. to point
0: that out. So a couple. This has been prompted really because a couple of weeks ago we did a, a classic car look at the nineteen seventy five gown hind off Bathurst winning Tirana of Peter Brock and Brian Sampson. Uh, sadly, that car no longer exists. If you want to find out the full elements behind that, uh, click back a couple of episodes on our podcast and have a listen to it. It's been one of our most popular podcasts in 2020 mm. so far. So that kind of gave us the impetus to go, well, let's do the rest of Brock's Bathurst winning cars and sit down and discuss. And, of course, the backdrop of uh, Brock Over the Top being released uh, this week was probably good timing for us to to sit down and do it. So 1972 – The Tirana XU1, the little six-cylinder rocket ship that he won his first Bathurst in in 1972. Car that's been a bit of conjecture over whether it does live on or not, but uh – of course, we've seen the car owned by Glenn Amos these days. Uh, Craig Lowndes drove it in that emotional Bathurst 2006 uh, uh, tribute to Peter Brock. Mm. Uh, we've seen it up at Bathurst uh, 10 years later at 2016. It came and was part of the uh, the post-race celebration there. That's a car. I mean, that's the car that made him, really, the so, 72 Bathurst winner.
1: As we talked about the a few moments ago, talking about the cars that rolled out of Harry Firth's workshop, this is mm. this is one of those. This is an iconic car You think of the stunning livery, the red, the white, the black, the fact that it was the last Bathurst race where it was 500 miles, so you Mm. could do it as a single driver. Yep. Um, The terrible wet conditions at the start of the race. (laughs) Not pretty. No, especially if you were Bondi and the other Holden
0: dealer team. didn't have the tyres that you thought you were going to have on your car. No,
1: um, they would have been the right tyres had he actually made it through the Mm. early wet laps. But as it was, it was Brock and Graham Moore taking the fight up to Alan Moffat in the V8. Falcon, mm. and um, Brocky pressed Moffat into a mistake.
0: Yeah, I, I think the line is, I saw the whites of his eyes as he spun <laughs> across the road. Uh. The um, the thing, too, was that that was the last 500-mile mm. race, and it was the last series production era before Group mm. C rules came in, because uniquely at the time, I think a lot of people forget, and our younger listeners, hello, young'uns. Uh, wouldn't probably know or remember that at the time, the cars that raced in the Bathurst Enduro every year were not the cars that raced in the Australian Touring Car Championship. They were completely different. It was improved production in ATCC for you know, Norm Beachy's Monaro and Moffat's Mustang Trans Am and Bob Jane's Camaro and heavily modified rocket ships. In
1: philosophy, not all that far removed from what we have today with supercars.
0: No, that's right, but they weren't the cars no. that raced at Bathurst in the 500-mile race. They were series production, drive them on the road, proddy cars, uh, and Group C was kind of a blend of the two that came through for 73. For so that really was the, the last of an era, that race, but it was the first um of a new era in terms of the Brock era of him uh, being a, a contender and, and winning at Bathurst. So, I mean, the 72 Tirana. Um, so that car was new at the start of that year. Yeah, I think so from memory because there's always been the story that um, later on in its life there's silver paint underneath the the paint layers. Hmm. And, and HDT briefly ran a period where they had silver Tirana at the beginning of 72 I think it was from memory. Yeah,
1: in fact there's a photo of the car of uh dealer team Tirana painted like that on the front of our racing uh, line.
0: Book. Yes, you're right. This is a uh uh, which we'll get to the plug for the Racing the Line book. It's our <laughs> illustrated history of uh, Holden an Australian motorsport, 400 pages. Uh, it is going to be a ripping collector's piece. We are just about finishing it and sending it off to the printers in the next couple of weeks. It will be available in time for Father's Day. We will have them in August. You can order it from our uh, our online bookshop, bookshopv 8 au. But, yeah, there's a shot of Colin Bond in a silver XU1 Tirana on the front cover of our book. Uh, so there's uh, talk from... um this car over the years, that the layers of paint had that silver underneath it. But uh, post-winning Bathurst in 72 with Brock, he used it in 73 for the Touring Car Championship because that was the first Group C Australian Touring Car Championship era title hmm. um, and it was the first year brock had done the full championship he'd only done i think around maybe or so before that the dealer
1: team think. had never had a car that was really no no a primary contender
0: no then occasionally they popped up with a series production tirana that ran in an australian touring car around but it was no match for the big banger you know moffats mm. and gagans and beaches and and those guys um So it's the car that he won his first touring car championship race in, in 73, and he fought with Moffat for the title, but Moffat ended up um, getting the job done. So that car actually went to Bathurst as the T-car for the HDT in 73, so in the days of test and training cars where you didn't have to enter it, it wasn't an entered car on the entry list, but you could burn around in it during practice just to do some laps and not wear out your race car, which uh, was a thing that went on right through. I think you were allowed a T car right through the end of the 94 race. Mm. 95 was the first year. I think Tiga, the team's organisation, banned them on the, the basis of cost. Yeah, fair. You know, the, the haves had and the have-nots had not. So, yes. um, But I think they actually ended up using the Brock Bathurst winner for Bondi A couple of meetings later. Yeah, for Surface Paradise because his regular car uh, got really badly damaged Mm. while being transported there. So um, the Brock car ended up with Queensland privateer Barry Nixon-Smith. It rolled at Bathurst uh, the next year at Forest Elbow. Dick Johnson ended up with that car for a time, (laughs) and then it went through the hands of uh, Kerry Cox, and I think it had another owner before Glen Amos, the current custodian of that car. That other um, owner,
1: I think, turned it into a road car.
0: Yeah. So he came across it, Glen Amos, in, I had to look this up, 1981. And it was still being raced. And how much do you think he bought this Tirana xg one for?
1: Probably less than it's worth now.
0: $4,250. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which, you know, still was quite a sum of money back in
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. 1981. Absolutely. Um for an old race car, yeah, that's right. And it, it sat in his shed for seventeen years after he bought it because he didn't have the money to do it up. So he actually got around to doing that when Brock retired in nineteen ninety seven, and, and they had good I time think to do it. Yeah, exactly. And I think I remember that that car was taken to the Primus One Thousand Classic because there's a yes. shot I think of Brock uh, having a look at it in pit lane that weekend. Yeah, I remember it being on the news coverage that weekend mm. as well. And, and Brock ended up getting back behind the wheel of that car uh, at the Grand Prix. At Albert Park in 2000. Remember, there was a match race with him and Moffat, mm, uh, Moffat yes. in a Falcon and, and PB in the Tirana, and uh, that's the Tirana that Peter drove in, in that match race. So, um, And I know that there will always be people who, uh, that's not the car, it hasn't got all the parts, or uh, look, to the best of our knowledge... We believe that that's the car. Uh, I've never sat down and done a forensic analysis of every element of documentation that relates to it, but I haven't heard or seen anybody else that's put their hand up anywhere to say that they've got a 72 Brock Bathurst winning Tirana XU1 either, but um, we're big on... Things that are the real deals and things that aren't are not, and all that sort of stuff. But um, maybe it's a, a case and a scenario where we will get some more time to sit down and go through some more paperwork and really analyse through things. But uh, it
1: may not sound like it, but we do actually genuinely, genuinely enjoy doing. Yeah, that. yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, but it's a it's a ripping car, and um, I think the standout memory of of Lowndes driving that car at Bathurst in 2006 when yeah. he contractually, he had a Ford badge on his suit and these brands, Ford and Holden, for years would not give each other an inch. They wouldn't let any, like, hmm. even within Ford, I mean, this this is a story that um, probably people don't remember too much. Even within Ford, things were a crap fight. Remember when they wheeled out the FG Falcon supercar, the nitro blue prototype version race car at Sandown uh, in two thousand and eight. Yes. Yeah yeah. So from my memory, Lowndes was supposed to be the guy to drive it. Because remember he was on a Ford contract. But there was I think there was a clause in a contract somewhere where at a race meeting had to wear a team Vodafone suit, but not a Ford suit. Oh there was yeah, I can't to the exact Basically, it was an internal Ford thing. Mm. So even within Ford, they couldn't get um, an agreement going. And of course, it didn't probably help that I think by then the news had come through that Triple Eight weren't going to be Ford supported. The following year <laughs> it was around the same sort of time mm. that that was all going yes. on. So, but the fact that um, I think it was Tom Gorman was the head of Ford Australia at the time. Uh, said, "Yep, no worries. You know, there is a guy who is in Ford ads who is being paid. As it turned out, his salary." for Ford was revealed in the whole court case scenario with 00 Motorsport, but <laughs> mm. he was paid a lot of money by Ford to be a Ford ambassador, and here he was driving a, a Holden around the mountain, and it could only be a situation like that with the death of, of Peter Brock that that would ever be allowed to happen. There's,
1: there's no questioning it was the right thing to do.
0: Oh, yeah, totally. Great PR thing, great for the event, and uh, you're right, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now a tick attack. Supercars unforgettable. Uh, 1975 was the second Peter Brock win, and uh, we covered that car off in our um, podcast a couple of editions ago, but in basic overall terms, that car, sadly, is no longer here anymore. But there is a ripping – we've got to mention this – a ripping replica Mm. Uh, Bob Cole is a, a guy who owns this car. Uh, met Bob some years ago up at uh, the Muscle Car Masters at Eastern Creek or Sydney Motorsport Park. as It is now. It's uh, So not only has he got the replica of the 75-winning car, but he's also done a replica of the same car when it ran the next year yeah. for Gown Hind off as the number four car. So he's kind of got the matching pair. When you don't have the real car, you can have <laughs> replicas of the two years of that car, which yeah. I thought was really cool. And that's the car that Greg Murphy drove in the Bathurst tribute in 06 and Mark Scaife drove it uh, in 2016 as well. Mm. So it's got a nice piece of Bathurst history all rolled in. So if you haven't heard the 75 podcast Scroll back a couple of episodes and have a bit of a listen. You'll hear the full story on how it met its untimely demise in an accident in the Apple Isle, as it were.
1: And the mural that you can see, the half-finished mural you can see of the car that's What's in- half-finished about it?
0: I think it looks good. It's cool. It, is.
1: Well, it looks like it's been started and not quite finished. That might that might just be me.
0: Maybe you're not yeah. an artiste. Yeah. Well, I think there's no doubt I'm not. <laughs> and what we're talking about is that there is a mural of the Gown Hindoff 75 Bathurst in Tirana, um at the back of the building that Gown Hindoff was in in Melbourne.
1: Mm. It's now a um, kitchen company, a kitchen kitchen fabrication company, um, cabinet maker, I think, mm. as well. Uh, they've actually got murals of kitchens down down the sides of the building. But at the very back, it's – and you can see this on Google Street View. Mm. You go to, I think, 44 Clarice Street, Box Hill, <laughs> and do a bit of a spin around and have a look.
0: Um, we we yes, actually yeah. had some sleuth followers yeah. stop on their way to work the next day after our podcast on that uh, episode was released to take a photo and send it to us, a far better version than what was on oh, uh, Google. Google's was a pretty good version, but – But theirs uh, was up to date. This was very yeah. up to date. It was uh, totally a freshie. So we might fast forward then, Will, of course – uh, PB went off and did the privateer thing with Gown Hindoff, with Team Brock, with Bill Patterson. But come '78, when he won his next Bathurst, the third Bathurst, he was back with the Holden Dealer Team. By that stage, though, Harry Firth was Gonski and it was John Shepard running the ship, and it was the A9X05 Tirana with a bloke from New Zealand called Jim Richards, who proved, well, pretty good. I think you could <laughs> say yeah. he, he wasn't bad for a Kiwi. Very,
1: very good. Um, very economical in terms of the talent he supplied for what they paid him, based on what he told us in the podcast last year. And,
0: and Jimmy does talk about his HDT era in the podcast we did with him last year. I know this sounds like us plugging our old episodes, but I think the thing that we love about our V8 Sleuth podcast, Powered by Timken, is that they're evergreen. We're mm. we not really talking about current racing, what happened last weekend type stuff very much. Occasionally we do. So it's all relevant. And if you listen to it eight months after it was recorded or two years – doesn't really matter. Still happened in 1978. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, have a listen to the Jim Richards episode for his insight into uh, driving with Brock and, and the Holden dealer team and the, the big bucks that he was yeah. on back in the day. But the 78 winner actually made its debut. So, there'd been a couple of car swaps during that year, wasn't there, for yeah. the dealer team? because This was um, the
1: fourth O five Tirana that he'd driven that year in different forms because there was the four-door A9X at the, the um – The Formula 5000
0: series round at Sandown. Yep, yep,
1: which which they didn't want to give him the brand new car, the Mm -hmm. brand new hatch. But he had a new hatch or he had a hatchback for the start of the 78 Touring Car Championship, won a couple of races with that. But then it was shunted extremely badly by John Harvey in practice ahead of the Amaru round. Mm. So Brock then hopped into what had been Harvey's car. So that's the third car that he drove that year. And then when this car was finished in time for the last couple of rounds of the Touring Car Championship, that was number four.
0: Yeah, and it actually made its debut uniquely at the time. They had a – it was the Rothmans 500 Touring Car Enduro at Oran Park. It was, what, 222 laps or something like that. Mm. I'm giddy just thinking about it. But that actually fell in the calendar before the end of the Touring Car Championship did. So that race, I think, from memory, is the first time Brock and Richards actually – drove together, but they lasted a couple of laps and the thing blew up. But I think that's the one – is that the race that year that – John Harvey and Charlie O'Brien ran won after they control. ran out of juice and Harvey had to hot tail it back to the pits.
1: Which illustrates just um, how much of a marathon that event was, <laughs> if you can do that <laughs> mid-race and still win.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's not very often that you have to run a marathon within a marathon of a race no. to, to stay in it, but that's certainly what he did. So the 78 Bathurst winner for Brocky drove late in the touring car championship that year. Um, I think Lakeside he was ailing and I think he finished fourth. Then uniquely, they were back at Oran Park for the first round of the endurance championship, which... Which was the championship of makes. So the Rothmans 500 was a big money standalone mm. touring car race, all on its own. It just wasn't a part of uh, of anything else. And then our final round of the touring car championship was at Adelaide International Raceway uh, to, to wrap the season up. So I think he finished third there, and, and Bondi's Cobra um, won that race, and that uh, gave Brock his second touring car title. And then from that there, it this was,
1: car is a triple crown winner.
0: Yeah, so it's 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 helped him win the touring car championship. It goes on and wins the Hang 10 400 at Sandown, um, which was sort of just standard for Brock in that era. (laughs) (laughs) Just Brock winning Sandown. Then he dominated on the
1: mountain. He dominated Sandown He he dominated Sandown even
0: more. He he won seven in a row, 75 to 81. It was ridiculous. Uh, So he wins Sandown, um, gets pole position at Bathurst in the first ever top 10 shootout, Hardys Heroes, as it was known then. Um, And then, you know, they go on and win the race and uh, return the serve from Ford for the previous year. Job done. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. But I wanted to quickly tell you about our good friends at Timken, a world leader in bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and recognise their logo, but did you know that Timken bearings are used in some of the world's largest wind turbines, some standing as tall as 260 metres? That's almost twice the height of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and with rotors as big as 220 metres in diameter, That's almost the distance from the start line to Hell Corner at Mount Panorama. Now these rotors turn on big shafts and at each end is a massive Timken tapered roller bearing. The biggest one with an outside diameter of 3.425 metres, that's about three quarters the length of a supercar race car. The bearings have to be perfectly reliable in withstanding massive loads and in extreme conditions like in the North Sea. Where a single turbine is expected to produce enough renewable sourced energy to power 16,000 European homes year round. We'll bring you some more cool facts about Timken in each episode of the V8 Loop podcast this year. Now, it's back to the podcast. The 78 car carried them into 79, but it was given a John Harvey to drive, and he hmm. won the touring car round at Simmons Plains in the 78 Bathurst winning car. So it kept on winning even yeah. after Brock wasn't driving it anymore. Um, Second at Sandown in the Enduro for Slug, one two again with with Brock, um, and then huge crash. Ron mm-hmm. Harrop, his co-driver, um, turn two, Griffin's been no brakes into the concrete wall, over the concrete wall, landed in the paddock, and landed in the paddock. Uh, needed to buy a ticket to get back in. Mm. Uh, that was how far it went. And i think lucky
1: not to be hurt. To be perfectly honest, very
0: lucky. Ronnie was very lucky to yeah. get out of that one, uh, but. Everyone thought, well, that car's rooted. There's yeah, no chance we're going to see that totally one again. Totally pancaked down one side. Yeah, but it was reborn by Jim Shepard, who's no relation to John Shepard, who ran the team at the time. And they slowly brought it back to life, and it raced again in 1980 as a sports sedan, actually,
1: so but you, with yeah, Harvey
0: driving in the Marlborough HDT livery.
1: With the number 25 on the side, which yeah. I don't think it raced in its Group C, no, group C period. you no, so it was if you zero, see photos of a 76. Yeah, so if you see photos of a Holden dealer team Marlborough, Tirana, getting around with a 25 at Sandown or Calder. It's
0: yeah, it's not yeah, a fake. It's, that's it's a right. real deal. And Calder was the Australian Grand Prix meeting, the one that Alan Jones famously won in the Williams, and, mm. and John Harvey drove this car in the – this, uh, sports event, uh, supporting races. So it, it ended up going through a range of private owners. And I think there was, there's plenty of people out there who had the opportunity to buy this car back in the day for 40, grand, but, um, elected to put the money into their business or their education or, uh, didn't manage to go and convince the bank to loan them the money of what now would be
1: a significant a investment, significantly
0: more than $45,000 race car. Wow. Um, but the other great part of that car too is that, It's ended up in the Bowden's collection. Of course, um, David Bowden and his boys, Chris and Dan, have got an amazing collection up on the Sunshine Coast. But they took that car to Goodwood, Mm. which was really cool. Uh, 2007, I think it was, from memory. But even cooler, I reckon, is that – and a lot of people might have forgotten this – Dick Johnson drove that car at Bathurst for a Top Gear Australia segment that was filmed at a 12-hour weekend uh, the year escapes me off the top of my head 2012, 13, somewhere about, about there. Right, yeah. But um, they put DJ behind the wheel of the 78 Brock Bathurst winning Tirana uh, and let him loose for a couple of laps in a gym beam suit and a Mulberry car. <laughs> oh, perfect.
1: Uh, so the fourth PB Bathurst car that Dick had driven at some point. We'll get to we'll get to a couple we'll, of the others we'll, in this. We'll cover that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're,
0: we're, we're building there. We're building there. So a lot of people, I think, will um, think that the 1978 winning Tirana was the 1979 winning Tirana, but that's not the case. They were two different cars, weren't they?
1: No, and it's it sounds like a trivial thing to be able to tell them apart, but the interior seat colours and the interior trim colours actually helps you tell them apart. The 78 car had black on its seats and interior trims, and the 79 car had tan.
0: Mm. Classy. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. (laughs) It's how many Bathurst winners have had a tan interior. It's a short trivia quiz, but. Yes. uh, Bathurst 79 is the famous six-lap victory by Peter Brock and Jim Richards. That car was brand new for the start of the 79 Touring Car Championship, so Brock drove that throughout the year. Of course, pipped at the post in the last round when Bob Morris got the job done to win the title uh, for Ron Hodgson in the number seven Breville uh channel seven car um but then from there on again i think it was like once the clock uh, once the calendar clicked across to september brock mm. Sandown win. win keep in mind that he
1: between the end of the touring car championship and Sandown, he did the round australia trial
0: yeah yeah that's right and uh i dare say he was probably a little tired after that because uh, i'm tired just reading about that race that, yeah. that event it's uh It's a a stunner. And we've actually got – we've dug out, and you've dug out some great shots from the files and from other sources of those Round Australia trials both from 79 and from previous years in our, uh, our new Racing the Lion book. I'll find a way to keep plugging this book because it's a <laughs> cracker and we love working on it. I think if you're a Holden fan, um, I reckon it's going to have about 800 or 900 photos in it by the time we finish. Well, I haven't even stopped to think about it. Yeah, probably not a good <laughs> thing to think about it. No. Uh, and it's not just a picture book. The captions that we've put with them are really chunky I reckon there's about 55,000 words in this book as well. Comfortably. So, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a bit of a, um, a big birther to put on the bookshelf and to to keep you busy. But the 79 um, Bathurst winning Tirana goes on and, and wins the race, wins by six laps, absolutely smashes them. And then, of course, the news came through that, well, Holden's going to withdraw its support. Of course, Holden always said it actually wasn't Id motor racing, but by then <laughs> yeah. it actually kind of admitted it. Bit of that a giveaway it's, there. Yeah. It sort of was. But, um, the Bathurst-winning Tirana ended up being taken down to Baskerville uh, in Tassie for the end-of-year touring car event they had down there, where um, uh, pb won. John Harvey finished second in the 207 Tirana, which I think was a Bridgestone number at the time. Yes, That's why it was the tire code, yeah. renumbered. But they took the Bathurst-winning Tirana to New Zealand over summer in the end of 79, start of 80, and Brock and Jim Richards both raced it over there.
1: Yeah, and you don't often hear of – well, like we race – in New Zealand, maybe not this season, but we race regularly in New Zealand as part of the Supercars Championship and even now. And before
0: that in the days of the Nissan Mobile exactly. 500, Wellington and Pookie and all that stuff.
1: But you can't think of too many instances where our top – where one of our top touring cars is headed over to New Zealand back in that era.
0: Well, the other you've just reminded me of a thing we wanted to cover off from the Gown Hindoff podcast that I don't think we mentioned in that one. That car did go to New Zealand with yes, Brock at the end of yes, that year did. as well. So there was a bit of a trend there where New Zealand racing in summer—that's their racing period—and mm. it. Um, has meant over the years that a lot of Aussies have gone over there in that period with their cars or just with their helmet bags.
1: Well, it was the whole point of the Tasman series back mm. in the day. It allowed yeah. the Formula One stars of the 1960s, your Jim Clarks, your Graham Hills, to um, enjoy a holiday in the sun and do a bit of racing on the side.
0: Sounds like a good thing. I reckon we should yeah. bring back the old Tasman series one day for whatever cars we can... S5000. Uh well, yeah, well, they've mm. got a bit of racing going on over that time of year, not quite mm. on the other side of the ditch, but... Uh, you never know. You never yeah. know. Uh, so that 79 winning car, because remember that Brock acquired the Holden dealer team. Mm. Uh, for 1980 onwards, he ran the dealer team. So he ended up, he he owned that car for many years through the early 90s when Milton Seferis purchased it. Who uh, Milton's got, well, he's got a bunch of cars. Yeah. He's been racing for a very long time. He owns the, the Rothmans, Alan Moffat, World Touring Car Commodore VL. He's got Beth, the Peter Brock uh, Commodore from 94 Bathurst that... Is getting restored, and actually we featured as a podcast, by the way, too, last year. So all of this links together in some way, shape, I didn't or want form. to say it
1: because I'd already dropped the last two. Oh, in, don't worry. But no, I'm yeah. here to do the plugs, cool. mate. You know, cool, cool, You
0: know me. Uh, and then it ended up um, in the Bowden Collection since 1999, I think, from memory. And, of course, PB drove that car at Bathurst, you know, for as part of um, the Holden Speed comparison. Remember mm, that? that? Yeah, yeah. He, he drove that. Scafey drove his regular race car, and Cam McConville drove a, a road-going...
1: Was uh, it a Maro?
0: No, it was or a it SS. It was Commodore. I think it was a VY by that stage. It yeah. would have been probably the equivalent uh, model. So really, that's the only race that Brock got to do that weekend because, of course, race day, Jason mm. Plato has the crash in 05 and it ends up uh, a little shorter. It's a bit of a barina by the time John Cleland rolls off the back of it. And yeah. uh, uh, that was PB's Bathurst 1000 career done and dusted and by 1980 we were into a Commodore.
1: Yeah and whilst it wasn't the dominant victory of 78 or 79 it was still a very impressive win because that car had lost a lap early in the race after it hit a Gemini and did a bit of damage and Brock had to haul his way back up through the field to actually take and Jim Richards of course to take the victory,
0: yeah, and that was a unique one in that Jim was in the car at the end of the race. That's the only time I think in all of the Brock wins that he mm. wasn't in the car at the end because so. Brock had
1: used up all his driving mm. time getting the car back up through the field. And
0: yeah, yeah. And, and you know, yes, he fought back, and yes, he had to come from pretty much a lap behind because remember he rejoined the race just in front of Dick Johnson, or no, just behind just Dick behind, Johnson, yes, who uh, on that lap hit the rock. So, But the field back then was nothing close to what it was, you know, mm. when Larry Perkins say fought back. Yes, safety cars helped him in 95, but uh, when you actually really look at it and you go, everyone was trying their best, everyone was doing their thing, and I think that's one of the things in the supercars era that we don't pay enough credit to sometimes, or anyone who tries to smash up the supercars or V8 supercars era, the competitiveness of that era versus the era we're talking about here is – Night and day different.
1: Any, any ground lost in the modern day is so hard to make up without mm. a safety car.
0: Yeah. And even when you get the safety car back, it doesn't mean you can pass the blokes in front of you. Exactly. You, you've still got to, uh, Work your way through. So, the first Commodore Bathurst winner of 1980 wasn't the first Commodore that Brock raced because he'd driven, well, he driven the, the Round Australia trial car <laughs> for '79 uh, and then ended up with a, a car that he raced during the Touring Car Championship. But then, as per the, the practice of the dealer team at the time, new car for PB for the Enduros, which he drives with uh, Jimmy Richards. But it was a VC that won Bathurst. Many people say it was a VB, but the touring car championship car had been a VB, but the VC had come out in time and um, was um, the model that they ran at Bathurst with the, the boot lid rear spoiler. Mm. And, um, Which the
1: spoiler was a late addition. Like that was that was ratified between Sandown and Bathurst. Yeah, it, it
0: wasn't on the car for Sandown. So mm. uh, it was for Bathurst. As you said, goes on, wins the race. I think he runs that car at Calder at the Australian Grand Prix meeting as well. 81 Touring Car Championship where he and Dick Johnson have a fair battle during the course of the year. As per HDT policy, passes on down the line, becomes the John Harvey car for the Enduros with Vern Schuppen, but it won the 81 Amaru 300 with Brock and Harvey driving for the second straight year. They won the Amaru Enduro. That's the only time that they ever paired up together, and they won both times.
1: That's remarkable. All the years that they raced together Mm. and,
0: yeah, never actually... Yeah. It's kind of yeah. like, um, you know, Brock and Lowndes. Everyone remembers them as teammates, but they never raced together. Yeah. Brock and Harvey did it a handful of times and it worked um, mm. both of those times in those two years at Amaru. So that car ended up with Jim Keogh, Privateer. Do you remember the Toshiba car? I remember the vision of it skating down the grass yeah. at, <laughs> at
1: Murray's Corner. Um, and nearly spearing one of the other cars we're about to talk about
0: yes. during 83 practice. Yeah, that was quite close. Yeah. They all got away with that one. Uh, yeah, so Jim Keogh has that car, uh, 83, 84. Of course, Group C ends. He runs it at Bathurst. Remember the Northern Territory tourism-sponsored yeah, cars? Yeah. It was yeah. one of those um, in 84. And then um, went through a few different hands. It was going to be converted into a Group A car by a, a handful of different people and and it didn't actually end up happening, ended up becoming an Oscar yeah. and raced on the Thunderdome um, in Sportsman like, Yeah, after Oscar. So I did Oscar for a few years. Uh, Sportsman was a category for the superseded Oscars, the VL the, Commodores the, yeah, and the, v, the XF KVL Falcons era, yeah. and that sort of era. Um, and then it was uh, stuffed, had a big one at the Thunderdome uh, and was reshelled in another body shell and that body shell uh, – I presume disappeared from there on, and, mm. and that was the end of that. So, um, which is a real shame. But uh, I, I guess that the the reshelled Sportsman, in a way, is the car that carries on the the, the lineage continuation, lining, continuation, whatever you yeah. want to call it that that history. So, if there's um, any car that could ever kind of you know lay claim to that history, it, it's probably that car. But um, it had a long life, that car, 1980, and it was still panning around the Thunderdome. Well, as we
1: talked about this um, not, before. Not too the- much
0: original stuff would have been in it from Bathurst 1980, I'm
1: sure. Well, I'll no, point, but, but it is the car. a lot, lot of the body shell. Was, we were talking about this this morning. I, I didn't realise that that car, like it was one of the early Oscars. It,
0: yeah. Which, yeah. And, and a lot of the Oscars, the, the first Oscars, were built out of Group E proddy cars. Mm. And those Commodore Classic cars that raced at Oran Park in 87 and 88, I think it was. So, yeah. So... Um, I think there were, there were one or two Group A VK Commodore race cars that were converted roadways, converted mm. the Alan Grice 87 Bathurst car into an Oscar, but we're and getting a, a little off the end. track yes. here, <laughs> Will. So uh, that was the 1980 Commodore, which forever holds its place as the first Commodore to win Bathurst, which is an important thing. It's 40 years this year mm. since Commodore won its first, and fingers crossed with the current scenario of the world that we can get that Bathurst 1000 run in October and – um most certainly it will be the final uh, Bathurst with Holden as an active brand uh, and with a factory team in the Red Bull Holden Racing Team. Whether there is a Commodore on the grid in 2021 with a team who don't change a body style or whatever, time will tell. At 1982, the first – you know, I think of the weird things. Mm-hmm. I think of the weird on. things. Um, yes. 1982, Peter Brock, Larry Perkins. Yep. So it's the start of a three-peat of wins. Mm-hmm. It's Larry's first – Bathurst win Yep, in his debut with the dealer team. Mm-hmm. Have a look at the video of that race. What's weird about Larry in that race?
1: It's the moustache, isn't it?
0: Not just the moustache. <laughs> I wasn't quite thinking of that, says the man with the moustache sitting across uh, from me. He drove with bare hands. What? Have a look at the in-car video of that race, which you can, by the way, plug, you can buy the full 1982 Bathurst race on DVD from our online store. In fact, you can buy all of Peter Brock's... Um, Bathurst wins on DVD. The full races from I think they're about seventy-seven onwards. They're the full race and highlights of the previous years' races. uh Yeah, go and find the, really? the DVD of that race, nineteen eighty-two. The in-car because that's my point. The that's the first car to win Bathurst with an in-car camera. Uh, yeah, it's the race cam winner. Yes, correct. So it's the race cam that captures it. You see the vision. Larry's driving with no gloves on.
1: Have we ever had an, a reason why?
0: I think I vaguely remember hearing the reason why, but I can't remember what it was. I, I don't know if he just didn't like them or he just forgot, or <laughs> you, you, you would, you'd get black flag in the pit lane right now if you tried that one on, or forgot. Yeah, it's, you know, a it's a bit be more like Cheeto yeah. forgetting to do up his helmet. Remember ninety six for position in the shootout. He had a helmet that wasn't done up.
1: Yeah, yeah. or Probably. Marcus Marcus
0: Ambrose with his balaclava. The um, gloves are a bit easier to spot, however. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, Russell Ingalls' balaclava, which appeared out of his pocket and was auctioned later on. Uh- <laughs> I've got a feeling that one got dunked in a bucket of water somewhere along the line. Lightly used. Yeah, lightly used. Anyway, uh, 82, winning car. Of course, Brock had his big bust up with cams during that year, so he got wiped mm. out of most of the results from the Touring Car Championship over the eligibility. So this car, the 82 car, was the SS Commodore. So this yeah, was sort of that. The pack car, yeah. Yeah, this, was, um, this got them the big valve V8 engine and- um, Lighter weight, mm. you know, it was, it was a bit of a rocket ship, and um, and they they did the business, but he he didn't win first time out at Sandown in this car because you just about pencilled his name in to win it every year, but um, he had a failure, I think there was a gearbox drama, and uh, he was delayed, and then he ended up out of the race. So, but he and Larry go on and win Bathurst in that car. Um, of course, Alan Grice gave him a fair run for his, uh, his money that weekend, took pole position and led the early part of the race before he slipped off and ended up building sandcastles for a brief moment, as he had the previous year in the BM too, but he got out and got going and finished second. But I reckon if Grice had had, I mean, you can put it this way, Alan Brown was his co-driver who owned the car and the recar team and funded Mm. it. So Alan Grice wouldn't have been there if Alan Brown wasn't spending the money. But if Alan Grice had had, and Brown by his own admission wasn't a, you know He couldn't go blow for blow with Brock and Perkins, but mm. he could hold his end up as a pretty good amateur. Yeah. Uh, but if Grice had had a, an equal or near equal co-driver, imagine the fight that would have been had that day yeah, between true. he and whoever his mystery man could have been and Brock and Perkins, that would have been a stunner. It really would have.
1: But then you think forward a couple of years, and again, going slightly off topic, Grice won the 86 race with Graham Bailey, another driver who probably wasn't at the level of Brock and Perkins, he but funded, funded it. Wouldn't have been there without him and got the Bathurst win.
0: And he only did, I think, about 18 or 19 laps or 23 or whatever it was yeah. for the whole he day. He did enough. And he after enough. that, they brought in the minimum rule that you had to do uh, two-thirds, two-thirds was the max that anyone could do. So, hmm. uh, But the 82 Bathurst winning car for Peter Brock carried through into 83. So he drove that in the Touring Car Championship. He won. It's got, I think of the weird nerdy things. Do you know where I'm going with this? This is Lakeside. You're going. No. On, isn't it? Oh, really? Okay. Adelaide International Raceway. Oh. <laughs> it won the closest ever finish in Australian Touring Car slash Supercars Championship history in 1983 at AIR, where Brock beat Alan Moffat by the margin of 0.0 seconds. How is that possible?
1: Um, timing to point one of a second, exactly, to one tenth of a second.
0: Exactly. So, if, I, I don't know if there was actually a photo finish, but there must have been a judge of fact who gave the nod to yeah. uh, the 0.5 car over the 43 Mazda RX-7. So, that's never going to be beaten.
1: Uh, and the reason I laughed is because my brain went in the exact opposite direction. I was thinking of his 83 lakeside win where he won by over a lap, and, which was, I believe, the last time that's ever happened. In the championship. In the championship.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Isn't it funny? We think of different things, but we get- we At least we don't cover the same ground. <laughs> yes. That's actually a really good thing. Yeah. Uh, but then the 80, as per the normal thing, the 82 winning car – uh, became the second car for '83, so that became the John Harvey Phil Brock car for Sandown, and of course, remember that Brock took it over. Yes, but they yeah. hadn't done the paperwork, so I think he finished third on the road, and they scrubbed him from the results because it hadn't been all approved and done as it should have been. So learned the lesson, yeah, learned the lesson, got it right, filled out all the the names on the entry list and the entry form for Bathurst, and of course, zero five goes bang within what seven eight laps and. Uh, PB and LP take over uh, 25, the special mild car as it was, mm. and uh, go on a win. And John Harvey gets his first Bathurst win because he did the first stint. And of course, Phil Brock famously was left out. And and Phil is in the Brock over the top um, docu movie, documentary, mm. whatever you want to call it, uh, that is out um, this Friday. And, and eighty three is is covered there. And he also just dis- ta- uh, discusses, I should say. Um, when he left the dealer team as well and how he felt with uh, his relationship with Peter when um, there'd been a road accident and alcohol had, had been involved too. So um, I think he felt a little let down by his, his brother there and I guess on the other side, his brother was a drink driving you know advocate. He carried zero five, 5 so having a business that had a connection to, to something like that had occurred was all very tricky for everybody involved. So uh, just covering off on the Brock Over the Top movie for a sec too, um, there are those little elements that we've probably all heard elements of Phil Brock being left out of 83 and there's other elements of other people that we've heard, but probably heard some quotes from some people that we haven't heard before and some insight. And Hmm. uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a bit for everybody to, um, to get out of having a look at this new Brock over the top. Um, I keep going to say movie documentary. I'm not sure which one you call (laughs) it, but let's stick with the Brockumentary because I think that's probably the most accurate title. Now, that car winning the 83 Great Race becomes the first car in history to win two Bathurst 1000s, which makes it, in the history books, first to do it, one of only two cars to ever do that because Mark Scapes golden child achieved it in 2001 and 2002. Last race for that car was not long after that for the dealer team. Larry Perkins raced it at Calder, mm. Australian Grand Prix at the time run by Bob Jane. Uh, with Formula Pacific cars, but there was a Group A, uh, sorry Group C, touring car race support the Berry Fruit Juice yes! Trophy. Yes, yes, yeah. where I thought yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Berry Fruit Juice uh, yeah. Cup, I think it might have been, or Trophy. Uh, but it featured, which was totally unique to the time. You wouldn't batter an eyelid at it now. A compulsory pit stop.
1: Yeah, like I a had tire change. I had no idea about this until we went back doing the research for the Racing the Lion book, and I went back and watched the race. And um, yeah, compulsory pit stop. And because Calder's pit lane facilities weren't exactly conducive mm, to yeah. the entire field, for, potentially. This is when it was on once. the infield. Mm, yeah. Uh, so there was a window in which each a window each car was given, which
0: was different for each car, um, in which they could have their pit stop. And of course. These days, the first thing that would spring to mind is, what if there's a safety car? We'll be screwed if we have to pit on lap 15, not lap 13, like those guys can. Could no you imagine reason. the World War in pit lane? Oh, yes. If you got nominated, what lap are you going to take your pit stuff on? Yeah. Oh, They'd God. be asking for a compulsory safety car. Yeah, you would be. I, um, and that was that for that car because uh, Andrew Harris uh, ended up with it straight away after that, raced it at Adelaide's... Um, enduro 300k race at late 83 he ran it as a kmart car alongside warren cullen in the next year 84 which was the last year of group c um it ended up with uh queensland touring car privateer wayne clift
1: which is where as i referenced earlier dick johnson driving one of brock's uh, raffer's yes, cars yes
0: i wanted you to cover this on
1: so at the end of 1989 lakeside's final race meeting of the year was promoted as a celebration of Dick Johnson. He'd just come off winning the Bathurst 1000. He'd won back-to-back touring car titles. And the whole goal of it was he was going to use the Bathurst-winning Sierra to reset the lap record with Lakeside having just been resurfaced. So it was Dick Day. It was dick day. Unfortunately the Sierra was not quite up to the task and there were it had a couple of mechanical issues, didn't really run cleanly, so he didn't get to set have a crack at the lap record. But what he did do was he had a run around in the Green's tough X E eighty four Australian Touring Car Championship winner, and he had a drive of this car, the eighty two slash eighty three Bathurst one thousand winning Commodore.
0: So he got a ride, remember, in the 05 car from 83 yes. after he put yeah. his car in the trees. So we're actually finding that Dick did end up in a lot of Brock cars over the
1: years. It's funny. And then you think about the fact that they were at their um their national service together, yeah. like 40 metres apart.
0: Yeah. Um, and didn't know. Yeah. It's remarkable. Figured it out years yeah. later, which um is amazing. Uh, Wayne Clift had that car for, for some time and it ended up, and I think it was when Dick drove it, even in the late '80s. So mm. it had a hybrid scenario going on. It had the '82 livery, but with the '83 bodywork because the yeah. the bodywork in '83 was um, more pronounced, flaring, and the the deeper um, scalloped rear spoiler. And um, and of course, it had a different livery. Yeah, it was a, it was a white car predominantly in '83. So, and then of course, that car became uh, part of the Peter Champion collection over the journey. Uh, he took it to Goodwood, so another of the Brock cars that's been to Goodwood over the years mm. and had a run. He dinged it as well, poor PC, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, he had a ball uh, running with that car. Of course, it ended up in the um, Dreamworld display with all of the Brock cars from Peter's collection yeah. over the years and ended up in that uh, Brock auction a couple of years ago now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's a unique, special car. and. Uh, Two-time Bathurst-winning Brock car, mm, yeah, I wouldn't mind having that one. That would be pretty handy, and I reckon that's worth a pretty penny. But the question I always have thought is, if you owned it, which would you restore it to, 82 or 83? See, I personally would go 83
1: on the assumption that, again, you'd need to do your research, but on the assumption that the car is in that 83, 84 spec, it's a bit more original if you just keep those elements well, and then oh, just return the livery back to what it
0: was well, in 83. The other thing was that Harris had a big shunt in that car at Sandown at the start of 84. There True. was a pile-up at the first corner of the touring car round where he, his teammate Warren Cullen and the Mazda of Peter McLeod all ended up bouncing off the armco's and it severely damaged the front end of that car. So, I've got a funny feeling they ended up having to virtually rebuild the front of that car. So, okay. Like, personally, I'd go 82. But simply because 80, but I guess it depends on who you are and what floats your boat. and I was saying, they're uh, only original ones. Well, and then what costs more money <laughs> to, <laughs> yes. to, to do more work and to put it back to 82? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, look. Unfortunately, it it's not our problem. Pro- <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would be a very, very good problem to have, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it isn't our problem to have. So um, good luck to those whose problem that it, it indeed is. And I don't think that's much. For, if that's a problem, uh, then it's not that big a problem, really. Yeah. Um, there's bigger problems going on in the world than figuring out which uh, year to restore your Bathurst Brock Commodore to at the moment. So,
1: Which brings us neatly to the 1984 Bathurst-winning Commodores. The
0: big bangers. And, and I think that's the – there's a lot of things in motorsport where you just say a word or a term and people know what you're talking about. Hmm. Godzilla. Yep. You know what – Nissan GTR. Yes, yep, Totally. Big Bangers is another one of those. Straight away, it's the Day 84 VK Group C Commodores and the Melbourne Holden Dealer team that won Bathurst with a 1 2 finish in 84. Of course, they won the Sandown 500. I think a lot of, I read it in a lot of places that they were undefeated. Not the case. No. They no. were three out of four. They won three Enduros, mm. but Brock and Harvey were beaten by George Fury at the Calder Australian Grand Prix support race uh, to round out 1984. So the Brock car won Sandown with he and Larry Perkins, won Bathurst with he and Larry. PB drove it to win the Surface 300 Enduro uh, up in Queensland. And then finish second to to Fury in the Nissan. Hey, and cool. I mean, this is we're jumping aside. But the Nissan Bluebird is being released as a model car for the first time in one eighteenth scale mm. by our our old mates at Authentic Collectibles. And we do. Do with um, our friends at Motor Focus and Model Car Podcast that we've actually started up in the last couple of weeks. Which, if you're not listening or subscribing, go and search for it. It's the Motor Focus Model Podcast uh, and the 1984 Fury pulsating Bathurst Bluebirds being produced by Authentic, uh, which is going to be cool. People have lost their minds that that car is being made. I that's right. That's special. never
1: that's never appeared
0: in one eighteenth scale before. No, it's, no. Yeah, I'm yeah. really excited about it. Yeah, really cool. Um, so the 84 car is so special because it's so unique, it raced so briefly, it is known by its name, mm. the big bangers, yeah. like those two cars that were the sister cars. And then they're done. The concept of building a brand-new car for Bathurst wasn't new, but that the rules were changing at the end of the year and everyone knew they were changing.
1: It's and a the fact big thing two. to go
0: and build two brand-new cars that then virtually are, you're going to have to start all over again the next year.
1: Which I think they were under pressure to race the vk which was the newest model commodore
0: mm. and on the in terms of a road car yeah exactly
1: and of course they were the only team to turn out two vks but they, they weren't were the a factory only, team
0: they weren't the only team to have vk no uh, warren cullen had a vk and alan, alan grice, grice the roadways team with steve harrington had well they had one of both didn't they they had a vk <laughs> yeah, and a vh and they had the the um the backup car that they were both entered in and they withdrew it early in the race so uh The 84 cars, of course, um, there's a lot of conjecture, there's a lot of discussion, uh, what, where, why, and how. Uh, Look, I I respect everybody's... Opinion equally, Uh, everyone's entitled to what they think. I think and I believe from everything I've read and seen, the people I've spoken to, the research that I've done, uh, that the Bathurst winning 1984 car, I will go on the record here and now, uh, is at the National Motor Racing Museum at Bathurst, always has been and always will be. Albeit, it's not exactly as it was when it raced because it has a different engine in it. Mm. when it was donated to the museum the following year, I think there were a lot of the racing bits that were pulled out of it. It turned up and they went, hang on a minute here, this is a bit <laughs> standard. Yeah. So it went back to uh, to Melbourne and had some more bits put in it. And I think over the years a uh, uh, an ex-Peter Jansen tape-built engine was required to put in that car. So, um, But looking at the photo, and I'm not going to turn this into a debate over which is the real car or not. Please I don't think, add us. No, I think the thing is that people forget too that, um, those two cars, of course, the other car ended up going to Perth, then to John Cleland in the UK, had a really long racing life over there, had a few hits, had to be fully rebuilt virtually. Beautiful restoration job, and mm. Peter Champion got it. It's an ace car. Um, whatever's 05, whatever's 25, uh, park that to the side. They're both beautiful cars. One in its very original bodywork state and the like the other in a beautiful restoration uh my personal you know and i've written it in muscle car magazine so there's nothing that i haven't kind of put in print or said anywhere that i feel um is look at the period photos look at the marks on the the paint chips and uh, all those elements um and really uh, there wasn't an issue for so many years that no one ever thought or said anything any different than the zero five car was in uh, the museum and, and John Farrell himself, who, who got the 25 car, he raced it as car 52, not car 50. Mm. Um, and he was always of the view. And he was, he spoke to Muscle Car when we did the story. Uh, he always was of the view that he got the the Harvey car, he was fine with that. He got yeah. a car, he, he, he got a cool car, he got one of only two of them. So, yeah. um, regardless, I think it's a special part of Australian touring car racing history, but you will never sway my uh, viewpoint no matter what you say or do or what you put in front of my face <laughs> uh, I reckon the zero fives at the museum and uh, that's that in my view but hey if others have a viewpoint um, totally respect it and um, that's, uh, that's theirs to have and uh, mine's mine to have and that's life we all move on.
1: Which leaves us with one car
0: and then there was one yes. 1987 the car that probably of all cars wasn't expected to win
1: no, no, not at all.
0: 19th... Wasn't even expected to finish. No, 19th on the grid. Uh, car 10, uh, again, a driver who was left out of the lineup. So John Crook was signed up to run with Peter McLeod. But of course, the other guy that should have been in that car is Neil Crompton. Mm. Because he joined the dealer team. Well, it wasn't the it wasn't the home dealer team by that stage. It was HDT mm. HDT the, Racing. Yeah, the, the bust-up had occurred. We're talking about the 1987 Mobile HDT Racing VL Commodore Group Ass uh, that won that race on the rebound. A couple of weeks, months, whatever it was later, when the two Eggenberger Texaco Sierras were uh, disqualified, and uh, I think the final results were handed down in April 1988. But I think Brock found out the week
1: of the Adelaide Grand Prix, didn't yeah. he, that he was- When the Eggenberger cars turned up that same weekend at Fuji for the final World Touring Car Championship round, went through scrutineering, and um, it was determined that, yes, they were actually
0: illegal. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. Lovely. Well, there you go. Uh, whoops. That car that won the 87 race, it started its life earlier in the year because remember that the first HDTVL, Brock never raced because no. it got sold straight away to Alan Moffat to go and run- in the World Touring Car Championship as the Rothmans car. So they built another car at the mobile team for mid-'87. I think that debuted at Surface Paradise um, from memory. Yes. And then that car um, went to Spa Mm. for the 24-hour race where Peter drove with Neville Crichton and David Skuppy Parsons. Parsons. John Crook was there as well but didn't end up driving. Uh, But then, of course, that car had to wait to come back from overseas. So that's why they converted the ex-Brock Moffat VK into a VL uh, for Crompton and Crook to drive at Sandown and the Oran Park 250. So then the other car eventually does come back. It becomes car 10 for Bathurst. Peter McLeod has a mother of a moment at the top of Mountain <laughs> Stranger in practice. It ends up um, steering it through that gap in the fence, and I think there was a sand trap there back in the day. And it caught the car. We've got photos
1: of it in the archive. It is extremely close to that fence. It was <laughs> you couldn't have gotten much closer.
0: <laughs> he got very lucky. And I think the yeah. thing was too that I mean, could you imagine if that had happened in the race? Yeah. You know, that would have been them That's done. It. But they had that problem in practice and managed to get the car going again and Peter did the first stint, did a great job, hauled it up into the top ten. Of course Brock took over, Parsons took over and they go on and cross the line third and end up getting the win and that wasn't it for that car, though, because um, it ended up part of the sale next year because Brock went to Bimmer's, uh, all the Commodore stuff was out the door. Uh, Chris Lambden acquired that car, became the Bow Repairs car, so it was converted into a Walkenshaw bodied fuel-injected car for uh, 1988, yep. and uh, he drove it at uh, uh, Sandown and Bathurst with Kerry Bailey. Hmm. And then he (laughs) – because Chris is one of the people who gave me one of my first jobs in racing, there's two stories that I always talk about with Chris. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, Chris these days runs S5000. Hmm. One is um, how he was forced to sell his body repairs Nissan Skyline HR31 for virtually $2.50 because at the time an X group A car – wasn't really pulling many quid, yeah. uh, and that in more recent years it's worth you know a couple hundred thousand dollars now. So I'd like to review on that one. The other one is, though, that he crashed this Borough Pairs car at Oran Park in 89 mm. at the touring car round and pancaked in the back of it, which wasn't a good look just quietly. No. So they actually ended up with another car that became the Borough Pairs car after that before he went to the Skyline. So through all that he'd become good mates with Bob Jones who actually – Took over and acquired and bought the car, the bow repairs car, and became the car owner. So over time, that mobile crashed chassis that had been crashed at Oran Park was repaired and um, been on sold through some club enthusiasts. Actually, I remember I was at Calder. My dad. This is well. This is this. No, this is not sidetracking. This is part of the car's history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineteen ninety five, the Peter Brock Classic was held mm-hmm. Calder Park uh, under lights on a Saturday night. Yep. The following day, there was another event at Calder Park. It was a club sprint meeting for the HDT HSV Owners Club of Melbourne who invited other car clubs from around the state, and one of them was a the Ballarat-like car club. So a bunch of Ballarat guys, including my dad with his Datsun 1600 club car, went to Calder to do sprints, and I think that's the first time my dad did a sprint. So he was pretty chuffed to go around Calder in a Datsun, yeah. which uh, at the time- in the same Sprint event, and I've got the home video somewhere. I should post it to V8 like yeah, Socials. Yeah. The Gerald K. Jagparts VL Group A Commodore. The nice. Gerald K. Jagparts VK Commodore was running around. The X product uh, Commodore uh, VP that Robert Smith had acquired. So that would have been the X product VN that became a VP. Yeah. So that had the running gear out of his old uh, VL well the John English car. I know I'm sidetracking <laughs> here, but also... I don't know if it was in the same session as my old boy, but the number 10 mobile VL Commodore with the guys that owned it at the time, and I think their names were Peter Angus and John Taylor. Mm. Don't quote me on that, but I think they were the guys who owned it at the time. They were running it in this club sprint. I got a photo of it in the dummy <laughs> grid at, San, um, at Calder that day. Um, and it'll be on a handy cam video that I would have taken on the day somewhere. So that's 1995 that car was going around, and by that stage, it was back in the mobile 10 colours, and it ended up going through – it ending up with the Bowdens in their collection, and it had a few things on it that weren't quite right, like period correct. So mm. like the wheel, yeah, it had center lock hubs. five does. That was with the Bowdens for quite some time because we had it uh, when we filmed Shannon's Legends of Motorsport. Mm. It was a, a backdrop car for the 1987 episode that we filmed with Glenn Seton and John Bowers, our guests. Uh, and, and then a couple of years back, they sold that car and it It now lives in the United States with Kenny Habul, the expat Aussie who's Kick goals in business over there, and he's got a bunch of Brock Commodores I think in his road car collection as well. Uh, but he's got a race car. I think you talked to him about this at the Twelve Hour a few years ago, didn't you?
1: Yeah, the year that um, Kenny finished on the podium in second blo- I think second place. In- it was year with Wing Cup, I think. Yeah, wasn't it? with Wing Cup and the Sun Trust of- Energy. Yeah, that stunning looking um- Mercedes.
0: Tristan Vautier, I think, was part of the driver. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Raphael Marcello as well. Yeah. Yes. I think we got all four there. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: left you to pronounce yeah. those names. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I normally read them, I don't say them. <laughs> um yeah. So Kenny over the course of the weekend mentioned a couple of times that he now owned a Brock Bathurst winning Commodore. So when I asked so when I asked him after the race and he said, Yeah, like the story was that look, like, he actually was a gopher with the H D T racing team at Bathurst in eighty seven. So he was there when that car won. And it's always and, and it's always held a special place for him, and now through his business endeavors, he was in a position to try and get that car, and with a bit of help from Paul Morris, he found out he found out that the Bowdens had it, and, yeah, lo yeah. and behold, Kenny now has the car, and it, it is in North Carolina.
0: Yeah, it's the Bathurst winner in North Carolina. Who would have thought? Mm. And I, I think of all of the Bathurst-winning Brock cars – the two that stand out for so many people, if you asked, you can only have one of them, which one are you picking? Mm. The A9X and the Big Bang are probably the most popular two. I'd be interested to run a poll and see what people voted for or decided. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's we'll do run, it. Yeah. yeah, screw it. Let's yeah. do it. Uh, but for me, I think it's also because of my era. I was a kid growing up in the 80s. I love that 87 car. That yeah, is so fantastic. Fair. Great livery. Yeah, yeah, it's simple. It's clean. It's that... Mobile white with the touch and splash of red and blue. Uh, I love, I mean, it's not zero five, 5 but, and it doesn't say Brock on it. Mm. It's Crook and McLeod. The name's on, the, on the, the side, on the guard. It says
1: Brock on the windscreen. That's right.
0: Yeah, it does. That's true. Um, but I, I love that car. I think that yeah. was fantastic that it's the last win, uh, classic Group A era. It's against the odds. It's when all the shit had hit the fan with Holden. Uh, I like the history of it in that, you know, Chris Lamb that had the car later. Chris gave me my first job at Motorsport News. So there's a few nice ties, and I reckon that's the car I'd have yeah. Yeah, if I had to. If yeah, good problem to have if you could ever have the problem of trying to pick. But <laughs> yeah. uh, for what it's worth, that's the car that I'd uh, I'd really like. Uh, let's not forget too that there was another Brock Bathus winner, the 24 hour winning Monaro. Which mm. whenever we do anything with the Monaros, it really gets people's attention. People yeah. love those cars in those races. 24 hour. 2003 winning car, the red Monaro, which GRM ran. It was, of course, Ross Palmer funded, and uh, he was the visionary behind Pro Car Australia and the Nations Cup. And uh, of course, Holden saw the opportunity to go. Oh, we could put a Monaro in this, and
1: yeah, saw these exotic brands: the Ferraris, the yep. Lamborghinis, Porsches,
0: and Vipers, and all and that sort of stuff. And the Holden, and yeah. uh, it was a fair weapon of a machine, and and that. 24-hour uh, winning car, is uh, in a private collection. Um, I think it's it's spending some time at the National Motor Racing Museum mm. in uh, recent months. It came out to go down to Phillip Island Historics mm. at the start of the year where Greg Murphy was reunited with the car because he drove with PB, Todd Kelly and Jason Bright. So
1: And Murph drove it over the line, yeah, holding he off did. a yeah. very, very fired-up Garth Tander.
0: Yeah, when that famous radio call comes through of uh, eight minutes to go from Gary Rogers, you're free <laughs> to race, and Murph says... You what? Yeah. what? Uh, no, he no. got the win in the end, <laughs> but he's probably never forgiven Gary Rogers ever since. Uh, bit of a heart attack. <laughs> Don't want to hear that. No, 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 no. So I guess uh, that is the last Brock Bathurst winning car will beat the 24-hour. The Monaro, uh, one of only uh, three built in the era Nations Cup cars. There was a the yellow one, the red one, and another red one, Team Brock pull-right car that came along for the last year of, of Nations Cup that was up for auction, I think, with uh, Grays Online earlier in the year. So mm. um, not many of those cars floating around. So uh, great chance for us to go down memory lane and talk about I mean, we love talking about old race cars uh, I love talking about Brock cars. I love talking about the history of all this stuff. And there's probably a whole pile of things on each of the cars that we haven't covered or that we've left out or that we've forgotten. We we can't fit it all in, but um, a chance for us to pick up on the last episode of a few episodes ago talking about the 75 winning car and, and flesh out a bit more of the detail and some of the stories and some of the, the points of history about um, some of the others. So pertinent time, of course, too, with Brock over the top, the Brockumentary, uh, which is... Uh, out now, well, out from Friday, July 3, or whenever you're listening to this, uh, available to rent via Apple TV, Fetch, Foxtel Movies, Google Play, Sony PlayStation, and Microsoft Xbox, and selected cinemas, uh, keep an eye on your local guides around the place, subject to COVID-19 restrictions and the like. So. Uh, let me know what you think of it in our next podcast when you do finally get a chance to having a squiz. Uh, we're going to do some more Q&As in upcoming weeks. We're going to have a look at some more classic cars as well. Uh, I've got a few chats lined up, a few people that I haven't quite got mm. locked in for times yet, but they've said they're keen to do a podcast sit-down. Um, one of them is a V8 supercar racer of the late 90s that probably has a pretty high profile, was part of a Larry Perkins team. That's your last clue. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yep. Not giving you anything No. no like that. No. Uh, we've had great feedback in the pods. Um, Michael Caruso was spectacular. Yeah. That he was, was a great, great. podcast. But yeah. I, I'm still laughing at the fact that we probably told him more about his career than he could remember himself. <laughs> so I hope that helped with his, his refresher course on his career. Was he
1: taking notes? He should have been. yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, That that was really good fun. Um, Hey, we've loved sitting down and going through the Peter Brock Bathurst winning race cars from over the years. If you've got a classic car or maybe like a theme of classic cars, you know, maybe it's I don't know, Mark cave cars or yeah. Sandown winning cars or Larry Marcus Perkins Ambrose Castrol cars. cars or Marcus Ambrose yeah. cars. Um, shoot us an email, uh, jump on the V8 Sleuth website, flick us through a, an email through the form, or jump on socials, send us a direct message on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Even if you follow us there, we're not that active on Twitter, are we? Really, we're more
1: we're moderately than, active. You're a little, quite active, yeah, literally around a
0: race weekend. Yeah, well, I'm on the couch and I feel like it's a way to connect with people. So, mm. um, and you never know what you might find or read on there. So anyway, uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Thoroughly enjoyed it. The v podcast powered by Timken in 2020. Uh, we will have another episode next week. In the meantime, head to our bookshop, bookshopv As we mentioned at the start, if you love your Holdens, you're looking for a Father's Day or Christmas present, uh, Racing the Line. It's an illustrated history of Holden in Australian motorsport, a 400-page Hardcover book. It is going to be one that you should grab to the collection. We've dug in our photo files. All sorts of cool Holden racing from circuit racing, rallying, drag racing, trials. All sorts of proddy things. cars. Um,
1: yeah. Oscar
0: NASCAR. Oh yeah. There's some good Oscar photos too. Yeah. A lot of good rally stuff. Yep. Yep. Some stuff that I've cool never rally seen cross before. rallycross stuff too. Oh, rallycross. Yeah. We've got some golden, Calder rallycross stuff from the 70s that was taken by Terry Russell, who. Um, Took some beautiful photos in the late 60s, early 70s, so uh, jump on the bookshop of ours, bookshopv 8 get your pre-order in now, that will be available in August, it is about to head off to the printer, packed with Holden history and uh, I think it's a coffee table book that you'll have to keep on putting down, picking up, putting down, <laughs> yeah. picking up because you won't get through it in uh, in one sitting, uh, we certainly haven't got through in one effort of writing it, it's been a, a big mission to delve on through anyway, that has been another edition of the V8 Sleuth podcast, thanks again to Timken for their awesome support in 2020, in the meantime, go back through our catalog. Have a listen to some of our previous episodes if you've only just discovered the podcast. Of course, you can give us your feedback through our social media platforms and our website and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends about it. Join our newsletter. I think I've covered it all, have I not, Will? Yep, ticks every box. Job done. Boxes ticked. We'll see you next time with the V8 Podcast powered by Tempkin. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil Tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2, and oil and find out.